As you can see on the board, I want to to look at a story in the Old Testament, a story of a woman who's really a, a remarkable woman, someone who's a great example for us all, not only to the women, but for all of us as people who try to serve God. This woman's name was Ruth. And we know there's, there's lots of stories, lots of examples in the Old Testament, and, and we can learn a lot from these examples from the Scripture in the Old Testament. And so I want to look at this story, and I want to um, kind of summarize the story, go through the story a little bit, and then afterwards look at some lessons we can learn from this story of Ruth and the family that she married into. I've kind of given it a little tagline. You know, some, sometimes movies have taglines. I've given a tagline to this story, and I've, I've titled it, Tragedy Conquered by Love. It's a story of, of great tragedy. A tragic event happened, but it was all conquered by love, and we'll see how that happens. Uh, there are two parts to this story that I've, I've put together. Number one, part one is the tragedy, and then part two is the conquering love. So tragedy conquered by love. So let's look at part one. It begins in Ruth Uh, Chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it sets up the story here. It says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. And they took them wives, the two sons took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion, the the sons of Naomi, died also, both of them. And the woman, Naomi, was left of her two sons and her husband. So in these first five verses, this really sets up the tragedy. This is part one, the tragedy. So let's look at these verses. Let's look at what happened. This, this happened in the time of Judges. So before the time of the kings of, uh, of uh, David and all the other kings that, that ruled in Israel, this was the time of Judges, about 1400 to 1000 B.C. These judges were kind of like prophets or messengers, deliverers in some way. They... Um, lived in this time, and so did Ruth and Naomi and Elimelech and and their family. In this time, there was a great famine. So Elimelech's family, Elimelech and Naomi, had two sons, Malon and Chilion. They lived in Bethlehem, Judah. But in this place, there was a great famine. There was no food, and so they needed food. And so they left Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to this country called Moab. Moab was a foreign country, was not part of the, the 12 tribes, of Israel, so it was a foreign land, but in this land they sought food, and so they went to this land, Moab, and dwelt there. So it was Elimelech, um, his wife, Naomi, and their two sons, Malon and Chilion. Well, along the way, Elimelech died. So Naomi lost her husband, her partner, Elimelech. He passed away, so a great tragedy happened. They lost their father and her husband, Naomi's husband, Elimelech. But they continued on. They went to Moab, and in the space of 10 years, they dwelt there. Um, Naomi's sons, Malon and Chilion, found wives, Moabite women. Uh, Their names were Ruth and Orpah, and so they got married. So there was a little bit of joy that was restored to the family. But not long afterwards, both Malon and Chilion passed away. So Naomi, this woman who was seeking food uh, with her family. She lost her husband first. Then she went to the country of Moab, and and her sons got married. But then both of her sons died. And that's a great tragedy. You think about what's left with her now. Now it's Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. And so I want you to think about the tragedy that just happened. She lost her partner, her husband. Not only that, she lost her two sons. I don't know if you've uh, lost many people in your life. I'm sure you have. We all experience loss in some way. We all experience tragedy in some way. But I can't imagine losing my partner and my children in a space of about 10 years. That's a great tragedy. So you can imagine the sorrow, 
the loneliness, the despair that Naomi had. And I want you to think about tragedies that have happened in your life, maybe not to this scale, maybe to this scale. Maybe something's happened to you that's a great tragedy. Think of the sorrow and the despair, thinking about what's going to happen next. You know, we kind of plan out our lives. We have plans. Of, Laura and I plan out our lives. I like to plan, and I have a spreadsheet that details out every year of our life and what's supposed to happen in our life. So far, it's gone all right. Uh, there have been some changes, but, you know, we plan out our lives, but life doesn't always go to plan. Things happen outside of our control that mess up our plans, and it leaves us in a place of despair and a place of not knowing what's going to happen next. This was where Naomi was at in this moment. Naomi, as a widow, if she returned back to uh, her homeland, she faced a life of loneliness, a life of financial distress. If she re remained unmarried, widows there had a very hard time. And uh, at that time, they uh, faced financial distress, often lived in poverty. Her family name would be discontinued because her two sons that would carry on the family name had also both died. There is a lot of despair and sorrow in this tragedy. So this tragedy was for Naomi, but also for Ruth and Orpah. They both also lost their husbands and their partners. So that's the great tragedy, and that sets up the rest of the story. But part two is the conquering love. So we see a great pivotal moment in their life, a time of sorrow and tragedy, but this tragedy is conquered by love. So I want to look at how that is done. Naomi here in, in uh, verse 8 says to her daughters-in-law, Go, return east to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So there's a, there's a lot of sorrow. They're all crying together. The, the verses say they're crying. And, and Naomi's planning to go back home to Bethlehem, Judah, to return home. And she gets her daughters-in-law together and she says, Okay, y'all need to go back home to your family. Uh, the Lord's dealt kindly with us. You've been a great blessing to me. But you need to go home. Go, go back home to your family. You lost your husband. Let your family take care of you and, and perhaps restart your life in some way and, and they can provide for you. You know, that's a very kind gesture of Naomi. And it makes sense. It makes sense to me. You know, if I was in that situation, I would think, okay, I need to go back home to my family so that I, they can take care of me and I can try to move on. And so that's what Naomi says. That makes sense. And she said that to her daughters-in-law. And uh, Orpah does that. She, she goes back home to her family. And it's hard to blame her for doing, not, uh, hard to blame her not for doing that. <laughs> However it said, um, uh, she does that, and it makes sense, uh, but Ruth does not do that. Ruth does something remarkable. She says something remarkable, something unexpected. Ruth says, entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, I will go, where thou lodgest, I will lodge, thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. So Ruth here, in, in a, a moment of tragedy where she lost her husband, where it would make sense for her to go back home, take care of herself, let her family take care of her, she does something remarkable. She shows a remarkable amount of loyalty to her mother-in-law. You see, in her moment of tragedy, when Ruth had just lost her husband, she didn't just think about herself. She wasn't thinking about what's best for me and what I need to do, and what would, would be best for me, and comforting me and my loss, she thought about her mother-in-law. She thought about Naomi. She thought about others. And I like to think it's not just loyalty to Naomi, but loyalty to her God, and to our God, to the one God. She says, thy God shall be my God. I believe she saw God in the life of her husband, life of Naomi, life of Elimelech, and she wanted to be a part of that People. She wanted to be a part of God's people. And so she showed loyalty to Naomi and to God. You see, she put God and Naomi above what was best for her in a physical sense of going back home, taking care of herself. She showed amazing love and loyalty. And this was a pivotal moment that I, I want to tell you this choice that Ruth made changed the course of history. It altered the course of history and it changed how we understand the Bible and, and certain uh, historical events in the Bible happened because of this one selfless act of Ruth. And so this pivotal moment 
changed history. So Ruth chose to act selfishly. She showed uh, loyalty towards Naomi. She, she decided to go back home with Naomi. She left her home country, went back to Bethlehem, Judah, where uh, Naomi was from, and dwelt there with her two widows living together. So the story goes on. Um, I'll go back just a second. The story goes on. Naomi and Ruth get together. Now they're living in a place of poverty. So they have to provide for themselves. Um, and as widows, that was hard to do. And so they decide to uh, send Ruth out. She goes out to the fields, and she begins to glean in the fields. And it says in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 3, she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who is the kindred of Elimelech. So Ruth goes out to the field, she goes out to the crops, the, the barley harvest at that time, and she goes out to glean in the field. And if you're familiar with that process, there were reapers and there were gleaners. The reapers were like the hired workers. So someone would own a field, and in this example, Boaz owned a field, a crop, and he would hire workers or reapers to go out and, and harvest the crop as it was time to harvest. So they were hired workers. Well, that was the reapers. The gleaners were those that followed after the reapers. So the gleaners were those, oftentimes, those that were uh, in poverty and uh, needed the scraps that were left over. So they would follow after the reapers, and any scrap that was left over from what they were harvesting, they would pick up the scraps, and that would be uh, uh, providing for them because they were in a, a place of need, and they were uh, poor and needed to glean in the field. And there were certain laws and, and um, rules for how we ought to, uh, they ought to treat gleaners and reapers at the time. But Ruth was one that was gleaning in the field, so a place of poverty, just picking up the scraps after the hired workers. So it says that she came to this field, and her hap was to lie on a part of the field belonging to Boaz. Uh, her hap just means she happened to, so she happened to light or to come to a field belonging to Boaz. So just, she just happened to pick this field, which belonged to Boaz, who was of the kindred or related to Elimelech. Elimelech was the husband of Naomi, her mother-in-law. So a relative of Elimelech uh, was this man Boaz. So she came to this field belonging to Boaz. Uh, so here's Ruth, and I just that's a picture of corn. It was really barley, but just for simplicity's sake, I chose corn. So Ruth <laughs> is in this field, and she's, she's gathering this crop, and um, she's gleaning after the reapers. And here comes Boaz. And I want to talk a little bit about Boaz and who he is. Boaz was a good guy. He was a good, godly man. Uh, and you can see this in this example. Chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And the reapers, his workers, uh, answered him and said, The Lord bless thee. So you can see this scene. Boaz looks out in this field. He probably did this daily and went out and he saw his workers and he said, the Lord be with you. God bless you. And, and he gives this greeting to them. And they all look up at him and answer back, The Lord bless thee. And so you see the relationship he has with his workers. Boaz was a good guy. A godly man had a good relationship with, with those that he hired. And uh, it, it talks about how he was just a, a good man in his heart. And so that's the kind of man that Boaz was. And so he uh, goes out to the field. He talks to his reapers. And then he sees a young woman following behind the reapers, gleaning in the field. And he asks the reapers about this woman. He learns a little bit about who Ruth was, her background, where she came from. And then he speaks to Ruth. He says, Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels, and drink of that which the young men have drawn. So he says to this young woman, uh, he knows her background a little bit. He says, I want you to, to eat and drink like the reapers, like my workers. I want you to basically be like one of my workers. You can eat with them. Don't be afraid of them. I've, I've let them know about you. Don't be afraid. I want you to be like one of my workers. And so um, she drinks with the workers and she eats with them. And he's just being very kind to this young woman. Uh, then he pulls the reapers aside and he kind of speaks to them. I, I like to think he kind of huddles them together and kind of whispers to them and says, Let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her. Leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. 
So he says to them, um, if you're reaping, why don't you just accidentally drop a little bit more of that crop behind you so that she can pick up some of that scrap and pick up so that she could be well provided for. And so I'd like to think that maybe um, Boaz is, you know, a little bit intrigued by this young woman and, and in some way flirting in some way, wanting to leave a little bit uh, more for her, provide a little bit more for her. Whether that's the case or not, we know that Boaz is just a good guy and he, he wants to take care of this young woman who's in need and in poverty. So he tells his workers to leave a little bit behind for her so she can gather and uh, bring it home. And so they do that, and she gathers uh, quite a bit and brings it home. She brings it back to Naomi, tells her what happened, tells about uh, the field that she was in, tells her who owns the field, and Naomi is shocked. Naomi says this unto her daughter-in-law, "'Blessed be of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead.'" Naomi said to her, the man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. So Ruth tells her about this, this man, Boaz, and, and uh, Naomi is so excited. She's so excited because Boaz is a relative of Elimelech. And at the time, there were laws in force that um, if a, a widow lost their husband, then the brother would, would uh, take responsibility of marrying the widow and providing for her. And it would go on until, you know, the next of kinsmen, a relative, would provide for that widow uh, that was in need. And so Naomi was so excited because she just happened to pick a field that was a relative of Elimelech who could provide for the family, lawfully provide for the family, marry uh, Ruth, and, and restore some of the, the land and, and uh, the, the needs that they had. And so she was so excited about this that she gets together with Ruth and they devise a plan. So they get together, they start scheming about how they're going to get Boaz to marry Ruth. So they come up with this plan and um, they follow through with this plan. Ruth uh, was sent to Boaz. She kneels down at his feet while he's sleeping. Um, and he uh, uh, arises and he says, who art thou? So he so he's sleeping here, and he, see, he realizes there's someone at his feet. He says, who are you? And she answers, Ruth answers and says, I am Ruth thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. Uh, so this is an interesting phrase, spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid. Um, we don't say that, uh, <laughs> especially not, not to men. Um, but at that time, they wore, you know, the robes and all that. And so, it, really, it's a phrase that says, let me under your protection. And if, if you really want to translate it into modern-day words, she really was saying this, will you marry me? She was, she was popping the question, will you marry me? That's what that phrase translates to. She asked Boaz, will you take care of me? Will you marry me? And Boaz says this, And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. So Boaz, in other words, says yes. He says, I will take care of you. You're a virtuous woman, and I will do what you require of me. I'll take on the responsibility of being your husband and restoring uh, your possessions. So it ends up well. Uh, in the last chapter, we read about how um, they get married. There was a little bit of a snag. Boaz uh, realized that there's someone closer in relation to Elimelech, but uh, he eventually says he doesn't want to marry uh, Ruth. And so that clears the way. Boaz and Ruth get married. Uh, they become with child. Uh, Obed is their child. And then uh, near the end of the chapter, the women all gather around and and they, they say to Naomi, they say this, uh, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. So the story started out with Naomi and Elimelech and her family. And there was a great tragedy. She lost her husband, her two sons. She gained some daughters-in-law. One of them remained with her, Ruth, through her loyalty and love, stayed together. And in the end, it ended up as a happy story. Uh, Ruth marries Boaz and gives 
Naomi a grandchild, and it restores her life to her. It's a nourisher of thine old age. Um, And so it all ends up well for Naomi uh, in the end. One other thing I want to notice uh, as the the story closes, um, the genealogy here is the very last verses of this book. It tells us that Obed, Boaz's and Ruth's son, has Jesse, and Jesse has David. So Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. So we all know David and and, uh, who he was. Ruth is David's great-grandmother. And so you see, Ruth, because of her decision to be selfless, to be loyal to her mother-in-law, and to not go back to her family in Moab, because she chose to follow Naomi and to turn to God, she is now in the genealogy of Obed, Jesse, and David. She's the great-grandmother of David. And so she altered that genealogy, and she now has a place there because of that one decision. So that's the story of Ruth. I think there's, there's a lot we can learn from this story, a lot of good examples and good people in this story that we can learn from. So um, second part of this sermon, I'd like to look at these lessons learned. There are three things I think we can learn. We can learn about enduring tragedy. We can learn about how love will conquer and we can learn about God's plan. So let's look at enduring tragedy. We all have tragedies in our life. You know, sometimes tragedies uh, are very small, uh, and we we may call them frustrations. I I, I get frustrated almost daily driving. Um, There's a lot of frustrations in Houston, and it it gets you frustrated when you're in traffic and things happen and, and don't go your way, and People act uh, foolishly. Um, it's frustrating. And so we have these small complications in our life, these frustrations. Sometimes we have greater frustrations and greater tragedies. And these can become pivotal moments in our life. Sometimes we lose um, those that are, that are uh, dear to us. Sometimes something happens with our job and, and we, we lose our job. Some financial distress, something some terminal illness, whatever it may be, we all endure tragedy from time to time. But it's really not too important what that tragedy is. The the most important thing about any tragedy or any frustration or complication or anything that happens to us is our response to it. So it's not really about comparing our tragedies and who has a greater tragedy or whatever tragedy is It is the most important thing about any tragedy in our life is how will we respond to that tragedy? What is our response when that comes into our life? How are we going to respond? That's the most important thing. You know, it's it's easy to remain faithful to God when times are good. It's easy to, to do the will of God when it's our will, when it's what we want to do. When what we want to do aligns with what God wants us to do, that's, that's an easy decision. It's easy to do that. But it's a lot more difficult to do God's will when it's not our will. And oftentimes when tragedies or complications come into our life, what we want to do, how we want to respond is not how God tells us to respond. We want to act out in anger. We want to harbor um, bitterness in our heart. We want to feel sorry for ourselves and, and, and want others to feel sorry for us and to just keep feeling sorry for ourselves. We uh, harbor guilt in our heart. We want to act out in ways that is not in line with God's will. And so in these difficult moments, in these trials, the most important thing is that we respond according to God's will. Let's look at the example of, of Ruth. Ruth here in a moment of of great trial and tragedy, losing her husband, it makes sense to me that she would go home to her family, that she would be taken care of by her family. But that's not what Ruth did. She said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest I will go, where thou lodgest I will lodge, thy people shall be my people, thy God my God. So Ruth in this moment made a crucial decision to be loyal to Naomi and to God rather than to care more about herself. You see, in her trial and and tribulation, she, instead of 
looking, on, uh, looking at herself and what she would be best for her and caring for herself, she cared about others. She cared about Naomi. She thought about others. Naomi, in her future, she thought about God and about being a part of God's people. She put others above herself, even in a time of tragedy. Something terrible happened to her. She thought about others. But that's hard to do, because when something happens to me, I think about me. I think about what's happening to me and and how awful it is that I'm enduring this, and I think other people should cater to me and help me, and it should be about me. But even in the times of tragedy, it's not about me. It's about God. It's about serving God, and what, how I respond to this tragedy should be in line with God's will and should somehow bring glory to God. And that's the most important thing about any difficulty in our life is turning to God. But it is difficult because we get emotional, and emotions are not bad. It's good to have emotions. It's good to go to the house of mourning, to mourn, to have sorrow, It's okay to have anger, but oftentimes we let our emotions cloud our judgment. We don't check our emotions, we don't control our emotions, and those emotions run wild, and and they get away from us. And it can be many different types of emotions, fear, worry, anxiety, anger, depression, guilt. These emotions can take control of us and control our minds where we're not even living in a state of reality. I want to give you uh, an example in my life. Um, Brother Ty mentioned that, that we're going to have uh, a little girl, Lord willing. And, um, you know, the moment I found out that it was a girl, I got scared. Um, because, really, I, I was expecting a boy. I was thinking it would be a boy. And I was more prepared for a boy because uh, I am a boy. And, and I, I know... I know what little boys go through because I've been there. So I was, I was more prepared for that route, uh, but that was not God's plan. And so I found out it's a girl, and we're very excited about it. Um, but I'm also very nervous. Uh, early on in, in the pregnancy, uh, Laura went in to, to get checked and had a checkup, and they did some things. And um, uh, one of the things they did was they, they did a blood test, so they drew blood and and checked her blood, um, and then a couple days later, we get an email from the doctor, and, and the doctor tells us everything generally looks good, except that she has hypothyroidism, and so uh, the blood test results said she had hypothyroidism. I didn't really know exactly what that was, so I went to the internet, and, uh, and I want to warn you um, about going to the internet. Uh, if you have some type of disease or something ailing you and you go to the internet, usually you'll get, you know, the worst case scenario from the internet. The internet will diagnose uh, uh, you with with the worst case scenario, whatever symptom you have. Eventually, somehow it ends up to death. Uh, That's that's the result of even, you know, common things. But I I went to the internet anyway, knowing this, and I looked up hypothyroidism, and, and I started reading about the effects that hypothyroidism could have on the child. And it said things about um, could impair brain development and, and things like that. And so I really started to get worried a little bit. And I started to get anxious. And I, I emailed the doctor back because the, the, she didn't give much uh, detail about the levels of hypothyroidism, thyroid levels. So I didn't really know too much. So I emailed them back and, and uh, asked about the development of the child. And the, the doctor wasn't responding And so I was just sitting there worried and and anxious for a few days. Finally, the doctor responds with an email and says, you have nothing to worry about. The baby is fine. The baby's brain development will be okay. You don't need to worry about that. She'll be okay. Um, And so that helped me relieve my anxiety. But you see, sometimes when something happens to us, our emotions just take control and they just run wild where we're not even living in reality. And I needed that reality check from the doctor to, to soothe my emotions, my anxiety, and tell me what reality is that I didn't need to be that worried about it. And so we need that reality check. And I want to tell you, if you're suffering from tragedy or you're feeling emotions, you're harboring those emotions within you and they're running wild, you sometimes need a reality check. 
And that reality check comes from God's Word. God's Word is the reality check that we need from time to time when our emotions just go out of control. And if we internalize our emotions and allow them to fester and grow and we just start doing things that are not appropriate and acting in ways that are not in accordance with God's will. If we get so sorrowful and depressed and, and feeling self-pity for ourselves, we don't act in ways that we should. We don't, we're not as active uh, serving God as we should. If we allow anger to, to control us, maybe someone uh, did something wrong to us and we feel angry, we want to seek revenge, we want to show them justice for what they did to us, we start acting in ways that are not in accordance with God's will, and we need that reality check from God to curb our emotions and to bring us back into a place that is right with God. So it's very important when we have some difficulty in our life that we don't let our emotions run wild, that we turn to God. James 1, verses 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So whenever we fall into temptations or trials, tribulations, some difficulty in our life, we need to allow um, that temptation to be dealt with properly, with patience. Let patience have her perfect work. Deal with it with patience, turning to God, allowing our faith to guide us. And if we endure that trial with the right attitude, the right mindset, we will become perfect and entire, wanting nothing. We'll become stronger. We'll grow closer to God. We'll find ourselves closer in relationship to God. And that's what trials can do and tribulations can do. If you turn to God, you'll grow closer to God. You'll learn to depend more upon Him, to trust in His will, that everything will be all right if we just follow Him. One great example of this is that of Jesus. 1 Peter 2, verses 20, or verse 23. Jesus suffered greatly, and it says, "...who, when He was reviled, reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not, but committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously." Jesus suffered a great amount of suffering. And one thing we can do when we're suffering, we can think about the sufferings of Christ, what He endured. He endured uh, loneliness, separation from God the Father because of our sins. And when He was reviled, He did not respond by reviling back. He did not respond in anger. When people were slapping Him and hitting Him and uh, uh, whipping Him, spitting in His face, He did not respond and lash out in anger. And that's very difficult for us not to do. But he did not do that. He did not revile again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But what he did do was this. He committed himself to God, to the Father that judgeth righteously. I'd like to think what he did was in these moments when he was being beaten and, and being mocked and ridiculed was that he, he put aside what his fleshly desire wanted to do and, and re retaliate. And he said, I'm going to put that aside. I'm going to commit myself to God, to him that judgeth righteously. I'm committing my response to God. I'm going to put aside what I want to do, and I'm going to do what God has asked me to do. And that's what we need to do in times of trial. Put aside what we want to do, lash out in anger or, or feel sorry for ourselves or whatever it may be. Put aside what we want to do and say, I'm committing myself to God. God has told me to respond in this way, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to put my faith and trust in God, trusting that His way is the right way, and that my way of responding will not lead to good results. So we've got to commit ourselves to Him that judgeth righteously. Another example, Stephen, in a similar fashion uh, as Christ, when he was uh, being stoned for, for his faith and for his words, it says they stoned faith, calling upon... Uh, they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When he had said this, he fell asleep. So in similar fashion to Jesus, when, when Stephen was being stoned for being, uh, uh, standing up for his faith, he called upon God and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And his very last breath, he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. They were throwing rocks at Stephen, stoning him with these great big rocks to kill him. And he said, Father, forgive them. Lay not this sin to their charge. He did not retaliate. He did not think about himself. He was thinking about the ones that were killing him. 
And he said, lay not this sin to their charge. And that's an amazing response. That's the level of response we need to get to in times of trial. Truly give it to God. Think about God and how he wants us to respond. Isaiah 41 verse 13 says, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. If we just turn to God, commit ourselves to him, trust in him, he will hold our right hand. My mom really likes this verse because she thinks about a father holding the hand of a little child. And that's, that's the example here. Our father will hold our right hand and guide us to where we ought to go if we just turn to him. Fear not, I will help thee, says God. So enduring tragedy is important, and the most, most important thing is how we respond. And we should respond according to God's will. The second thing I want to look at is that love will conquer. If we respond with love, it will conquer that tragedy. Um, we looked at the example of Ruth and her love and her loyalty, but Boaz as well showed great love and loyalty. He says, And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. You know, this really is a happy love story in the end, because Bo both Boaz and Ruth were really good people, and it's, it's a wonderful thing to see that these two good, godly people get together in the end, and they can share in that love. It really worked out well for both of them. And because of their love and their goodness and their, their caring for others above themselves, caring for God first, because of that type of love, they got together and it was very well for them in the end. And so you see, love will conquer. It will conquer any tragedy if we just keep on trusting in God's love. Romans 8 verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. All things eventually work together for good to those that love God. God's love will conquer anything in your life if you just remain patient and trust in Him. Endure that tragedy with faith. Endure any difficulty trusting in God, and God's love will conquer. Um, on down a little bit further in the chapter, in Romans 8, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine... Our nakedness, our peril, our sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You see, God's love will conquer all these things. Loving Christ and loving God will conquer all of these trials. All the tribulation, distress, peril, sword, persecution, famine, whatever it is going on in your life, whatever stress it is in your life, God can conquer it. And that's from the great big things to the small things, from the daily frustrations, from driving in Houston, from, from having troubles with your finances, having troubles in your family. Whatever distress is in your life, God's love can conquer that tragedy, can conquer that frustration and that difficulty. If we just trust in Him, we can be more than conquerors through Him that loved us. John 14, verse 21, Jesus tells us how we are to love God. He says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. He that loveth me shall be loved to my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself in him. The way that we love and show our love to Christ is by keeping his commandments, trusting in his will more than ours, trusting in his response more than our response. And if we just do that, if we follow after Christ, then we'll be more than conquerors, and he will take care of us. Jeremiah 7, verse 23, here the prophets recounting what God had told the Israelites when they left Egypt. He, he tells the people uh, at this time to remember what God said. He said, But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. Walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. You see, if we just trust in God, obey His voice, even when it's hard, even when we don't want to, when it's difficult for us, when we think we have a better response, if we trust in God and obey His commands, it will be well for us. And we need to put our faith and trust in Him. Love will conquer. Trusting in God's love, it will conquer any situation. Lastly, I want to look at God's plan. Um, I believe that God's plan was was riddled throughout this story. And I believe that God has worked through this world from the very beginning. And, and uh, there are many examples in the Old Testament of God um, working through people's lives. And I believe Ruth shows that. Um, Ruth 2 and verse 3, 
when she chose a field uh, to glean in, it says, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. So she just happened to pick a field belonging to a relative of Elimelech. And I don't know how much God was involved in that, if he directly led her in some way, or if it was purely time and chance. I can't really answer that. It says she just happened to find this field or pick this field. But I do believe that God works in our lives and works all throughout uh, the history of this world. And you can see many examples in the Old Testament of God working in this life. And it's with um, people who, who are evil people. He used them as instruments. And people who are good people, he works through their lives. Well, she just happened to find this field belonging to a relative of, of Elimelech. And so um, I think it's a great coincidence that she did this. Esther 4, verse 14, is, is another one of those examples. Uh, if you're familiar with the story of Esther, uh, Esther was elected as a queen um, over this foreign land. Uh, King Ahasuerus elected her as, as one of uh, his queen, or as the queen. And uh, she was a Jew, or of that background. And so she was in this unique position to help her, um, her family, or, or her heritage, the Jews, because there was a plan to destroy all the Jews. And so her uncle, Mordecai, Mordecai, says to Esther, For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So Mordecai says to her, uh, his niece, Esther, You know, maybe you were elevated to this position just for this reason, to help the Jews and to deliver the Jews for such a time as this. And he, he asked this question. He says, I don't know, but maybe God put you here for a reason. Maybe God put you in this position to do something, and that's to deliver the Jews. And, you know, we can speculate all day long about how God works in our life. I can't answer that. I think it's, it's dangerous to try and speculate too much about how much God is directly involved in our life. But, you know, maybe God has put you in a position to do something for a reason. Maybe God has brought a trial in your life for a reason, for you to respond in a certain way and for many good things to happen from your response. Maybe you're in a situation right now for a reason, and that's to fulfill God's will, fulfill his plan. You know, I don't know how much God works in our life directly, but I know he has plans for all of us. And I know the general plan, and that general plan is to submit to his will. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's God's general plan for your life. Fear God and keep his commandments, for that's the whole duty of man. And if we just submit to that general plan and not try and speculate about how God is working in our life, really, but, but just submit to that plan, it will work for good. For us in the end. Um, one example in my life, which I don't know how much God was directly involved in, but uh, I, I work at a job where we have projects, and basically you're put on a project, and it usually lasts a couple years, and then after that project's done, you move to another project, if there is another project. Uh, well, I was on a certain project a while back, and the manager comes in and says, we're going to have to make budget cuts, and we're going to have to let a few of you go. And uh, so I was very anxious at that time. <clears throat> Eventually, he called us in one by one. I was not chosen to be left on that project. He let me know that, that um, I was going to be let go from this project. And so I was very anxious and very stressed about it uh, because there's a very down, down time in the industry, and I was thinking, okay, there's not going to be another project for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be out of a job, and, and I'm going to be uh, looking for another job. And I was very stressed about it, and, I, and I, I was, uh, before I knew that, I was praying that I would be left on the project, and I would be able to continue on it. And, and so that's what I wanted. Um, it turned out that, that I was let go off the project, but Eventually, uh, the upper manager said, I found another project for you. So I, I was able to go to another project, and that, that project is the one I'm on right now. Um, and I've been on for a few years. Um, so it ended up well, but about a year later, after I, I was put on a new project, I got an email from one of my coworkers, one of my friends that was left on the previous project, 
And he said that they found out that their project was suddenly canceled and they had about one to two weeks and everyone on that previous project was going to be let go because there was not another project for them. And so if I had stayed on that previous project, which I wanted to do, I thought was best for me, and I prayed for that to happen, then I would have been let go of that job suddenly with with really no warning and um, really be looking for a job. So it ended up better for me that I was let go and put on a new project. And I don't know if God was really involved in that directly or if that was time and chance. I can't really answer that. But I do know that sometimes... What I think is right, sometimes what I think is best for me is not really best for me. And God sees the bigger picture. You know, here's an example, and I couldn't really bring it to scale, but here's somewhat of an example of God's point of view versus my point of view. Versus what I know, what I think is best for me, versus what God knows is best for me. You see, I live in this little bubble, really, of of time, this very short amount of time, 70 years-ish amount of time of life on earth. And so I have a limited amount of knowledge compared to the eternal God who has always been there, who knows everything there is to know. His wisdom is far above my wisdom. His point of view is far above my point of view. I, I live in the moment. I think I know what's best for me tomorrow. I have spreadsheets for every year of my life, and I plan all these things out. I think I know what's best But my point of view is so minuscule compared to God's point of view. He knows what's going to happen. His timeline goes on forever, and he has infinite wisdom. And so if we just put aside our pride, put aside what we think is best, and if we just trust in God, the eternal creator, trusting him that whatever happens to us, it's God's plan. If we just submit to his plan, it will work better for us. But it's hard. It's hard to do that because we have pride. We, think, we want to be in control. We want to control our future, control things. We want to respond the way we want to respond. We think we know what's best. Even in, in uh, temptations to sin, the reason we commit sin is because we think it's better for us. We think it's worth it. We think this uh, short-time pleasure is worth it for us, and we uh, submit to sin or we give in to sin because we don't have enough faith in God. And that's, that's truly the, the, the reason for that. But if we put our faith and trust in God, that it's not better for me if I commit sin, that it's not better for me if I respond to this tragedy selfishly, that it's not good for me to think that I can control my future. If we put aside all that and we trust in God, then it will work out better for us in the end. And that's, that's a lifelong struggle, is to have that much faith to trust that God's view is so much greater than ours. Isaiah 64, verse 8 says, But now, O Lord, thou art the Father, we are the clay. Thou art the potter, and we are the work of thy hand. If we truly have a life submitting to God, we will say to God, Lord, guide me. Take my life, mold it into what you want it to be. Guide me, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust that your will is greater than my will. As Jesus said, thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will. That's faith. That's amazing faith. That's trusting in God that His will is greater than our will. And we should have that attitude that God, mold me, guide me. You are the potter. I'm the clay. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to submit to your plan and not my own. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. He shall direct thy path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't trust in yourself, but trust in God. That's what I believe Ruth did, what Boaz did. They trusted in God. They put others above their own will, and they responded in a way of love, in a way that honored God. And because of that, it altered the course of history, and it worked out better for them in the end. To show you just how much this changed history, If you're familiar with the genealogy, you know that Obed, Jesse, David, eventually down the line came Jesus. So Ruth is the great, 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 however many greats, grandmother of Jesus. She is forever in the genealogy of the Son of God because of that one moment in her life, that one pivotal moment when she had a choice. 
When a tragedy happened to her, she could have gone home and taken care of herself, but she thought of others. She thought of Naomi, and she thought of God. Because she made that one decision, she is now in the genealogy of Jesus, and she is is forever remembered in that way. And ultimately, she brings glory to God, and we can learn from her example. I don't know what situation you're in, but maybe it's a pivotal moment in your life. Maybe there's something happening in your life where you can make a pivotal decision. And you know, really, in in times of tragedy, our response can either make us or break us. It can make us closer to God. It can bring us closer to God and, and, and change the rest of our life. Or if we respond selfishly, respond in a way not according to God's plan, it can break us. And those are pivotal moments in our life, and we need to make the right choice. We need to submit to God and His plan and trust in Him. One last thing before I close uh, briefly, one other story is also a story of tragedy conquered by love, and that's the story of the gospel. You know, the gospel story is a, is a, is a tragic story. It, the tragedy is that we, the creation, rebelled against God. God, the creator, created us, and yet we rebelled with our sin. We turned away from our creator, and that's a great tragedy. And with that fall of man, with that sin, it brought death, and that's what we deserve. And ultimately, it led to the death of the Son of God, because the only way for that tragedy to be conquered was by the love of God and by the sacrifice of his Son. And so Jesus came and died a cruel death, and that's a great tragedy. But in that death, there was great love. And in that love, we can have victory through the Son of God. The gospel story is is a story of tragedy conquered by love. And our life is is a, a story of tragedy in that we sin against God, but it can be conquered by love. If we love God and accept the love of Christ and follow Him and submit to Him, In baptism, if we are baptized into Christ, we can rise up in newness of life and share in the love and victory of Jesus. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus has borne us again into a lively hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we are born again from the dead. And we have that hope because of the abundant mercy and love of God and the Son. And so, uh, this morning, we've looked at the story of Ruth, a story of tragedy conquered by love, loyalty, selflessness of these amazing examples. And hopefully we can learn about how we are to endure tragedy, how we are to respond to tragedy, trusting in God, putting God first, loving others and loving God, And we can find victory by following God's plan.